0: I'm Kelly Coffey, CEO of City National Bank. Our Conversations podcast features in-depth interviews with innovative leaders from business, entertainment, and nonprofits. Listen and learn how to succeed in what I'm calling the next normal. Now is the time to rethink, reinvent, and renew yourself and your business. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Rich Raffetto, President of City National Bank, and I'm very pleased to host this episode of Conversations. Today, we have another exceptional business leader as our guest. He has more than 15 years of research experience, most recently at UBS, where he was a senior analyst. And in 2013, he joined a city national affiliated organization, RBC Capital Markets, to provide coverage of industries, including household products, consumer goods, packaged food, and beverages. Today, he serves as a managing director of RBC Capital Markets, where he covers companies with a total market capitalization of nearly $1 trillion, including Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, Altria, PepsiCo, and Estee Lauder, among others. He's been named as a top-rated analyst across many polls, including those conducted by The Wall Street Journal, Fortune, and Forbes. So it's my pleasure to welcome Nick Modi. Great to be with you, Rich. Nick, I wanna start our conversation today with a real future lens to frame this, uh, this discussion. In March of this year, RBC Capital Markets published a signature report entitled Imagine Preparing for Hyperdrive, produced by RBC's Global Capital Markets Research Team, which includes over 190 analysts and macro strategists and associates, covering over 1,400 companies. This research report focuses on disruptive forces that we expect will transform the world in the long distance future. The report identifies five disruptive themes developing on multiple fronts, giving us an advanced look at powerful, yet simple sets of change drivers that are starting to work together to shape tomorrow. Before we dive into those fascinating future trends, could you tell us a bit more about your background, Nick, and what role you played in the development of this RBC Imagine Report? Sure, Rich, again, thanks for having me. So I've been a
1: sell-side analyst for over 15 years. And while most of that time has been spent on consumer products, I've also covered other sectors, including for-profit education, e-commerce, semiconductors, and wireless telecom services. And this pretty diversified experience taught me something very important, that everything is interconnected. There are lessons from each of these sectors that can be relevant to all the other sectors that I've covered in the past. And this is really the underlying spirit of the Imagine Initiative cross-sector collaboration to make us all smarter in our individual disciplines. When I came to RBC in 2013, it was a, a passion project of mine. Finally, after several years, the, the organization really got behind this initiative. And that's when we, we launched the initial Imagine Report or Imagine Initiative back in actually 2018. The 2022 20, uh, report is, is an updated version. And we really, you know, what we try to do is look at cross-sector themes and really those themes that will govern the world over the next five years. And, and that really helps create a framework on how companies and investors should really be thinking about the sectors of interest in terms of the challenges and the opportunities ahead. So super excited that that RBC has really gotten behind this initiative. And I, I think we're all smarter for it.
0: Well, that's great, Nick. The RBC Imagine report outlines five future defining themes that these research teams have identified. Um, the first future defining theme is called The Quest for Immortality. You all uncover how the prospect of living for centuries may become realistic in the foreseeable future. Medical science is really on the cusp of some major clinical, genetic, and therapeutic breakthroughs that might just radically redraw the limits of life expectancy. How can we measure the impact of living longer, Nick? And can you share something exciting about this longevity space that the everyday consumer really doesn't think about today?
1: Absolutely. So there will be several implications of individuals living longer that companies, investors, and consumers should all be aware of, just to name a few of them. Customer acquisition costs may rise with an expansion of the spending curves. So if you think about it, longer life expectancy and longer retirements will also result in expansion of the consumer spending curve, making each consumer acquired more valuable to any company, including consumer companies that I cover. As a result, companies should really think about paying higher Uh, costs in terms of customer acquisition, as the ROI from acquiring a new customer will increase as that consumer spends more money over a longer life expectancy. Importantly, as consumers get older, they tend to spend more on higher end items, as is the case in Japan, where several companies focus on older affluent consumers as their core consumer base. Second would be increasing importance of self-care. When combining rising healthcare costs with an aging population, I believe consumers will increasingly focus on self-care in order to sustain healthier lifestyles and to be more preventative in their medical care. Companies should step up their investments in self-care categories like OTC, vitamins, supplements, and encourage investors to accept the incremental investments given favorable long-term category drivers. Third is really to think about the increased focus on wellness, not just health. Health and wellness are often conflated in the same rigid definition. However, they are different concepts. And have led to different consumer trends within the consumer space. During the pandemic, acts of self care, kindness, relaxation, stress relief, and indulgence have become more important to consumers' sense of well being. While virtually all consumers aspire for a healthier lifestyle, they're also viewing minimizing stress and indulgence as important to their well being. Consider this the need for comfort and indulgence during the pandemic drove growth in sweet snacks, benefiting companies like Mondelez and Hershey. Consumer companies can also tailor marketing messages to certain brands to capture the consumer's need for wellness. A brand like Corona and its marketing campaign, Find Your Beach, directly benefits from this wellness approach. And lastly, and this is much more of a kind of human resource perspective, longer retirements present HR challenges for all companies as senior executives stay in their positions for longer, living the opportunities to develop the next generation of talent we would recommend companies encourage mobility within their supply chain to offer senior leadership opportunities to emerging talent. This model has worked well in the Coca-Cola system where emerging executives often get leadership roles in Coke's bottling system before returning to Coca-Cola company in executive positions and could be replicated across more companies within its key supplier and distributor base. Now you asked Rich about, you know, some exciting areas of this longevity space. There There are a few things that I would just call out. For example, Tufts University developed a tooth sensor that could be attached to a tooth, tracking items eaten by a user and collecting data from the mouth, which contains a significant amount of information from bacteria and viruses to proteins and antibodies. Imagine if you could know if you test positive for COVID-19 in real time. Viome is a company that offers gut test kits, which uses AI to show you which foods and supplements are best for your individual health. And MyFlow introduced a smart tampon with a period tracking and hormone balancing tool available on an app that teaches women how to take care of and tap into their body's cyclical, biochemical, hormonal patterns. So again, this is another form of helping consumers with their individual health and wellness. And new technologies can be applied not only to humans, but also to our pets. Pretty litter, which is a cat litter containing pH-detecting particles, that causes the litter to change color when exposed to urine to detect common health problems in cats such as kidney or urinary tract infections. So those are some of the really interesting things that we uncovered as we were doing this work, Rich.
0: Well, thanks, Nick. Uh, These are really fascinating perspectives. And although I'm not quite sure if I'm ready for a tooth sensor quite yet, I I can see the compelling nature of some of these interesting future developments that, that could certainly play off of the research themes that you talked about. I now want to talk about the second future-defining theme of the report, which is called the individual revolution. It really dissects how innovation is shifting the balance of power into the hands of individuals. And we know that the pandemic forced millions of us into working from home and proved that sweeping changes were certainly possible in habits and everyday activities. What is the individual revolution and how did that move to working from home speed up its arrival, Nick?
1: Yeah, so let me just give you a quick backdrop, Rich, before I get into the exact question about the working from home. So the individual revolution is really the concept that the balance of power is shifting away from traditional institutions and towards the individual, as you said, and it has significant implications for economies and companies. Now, how did this develop? Over the past two decades, declining trust in traditional institutions and the rise of social media with an enormous amount of data collected on consumers has led to increasing power for individuals, again, away from the institutions and technological advances are allowing for ultra-personalized products, and some innovative companies are starting to capitalize on this trend. Now, moving exactly to your question on the labor market, one of the key points is that the younger workers are increasingly losing trust in large corporations. Based on a Gallup poll, worker trust in major corporations has declined from 38% in 2006 to 26% in 2022 as part of a broader loss of trust in traditional institutions. Employee engagement is much lower for younger generations, showing that the mistrust in corporations is likely to be a long lasting issue in our society. Again, based on a Gallup poll, employee engagement is only at 29% for millennials versus 45% for the traditionalist generation. Workers who are less engaged have a high propensity to leave their jobs when presented with more exciting opportunities. Hence millennials are becoming known as a job hopping generation. In this context, workers are increasingly demanding flexibility with flexible work options becoming more important, including working from home. This has led to a rise in the gig economy. Much of the recent media coverage of the gig economy has focused on millennial generations and their desire for more flexible work, and also on the sharing economy through digital platforms like Uber, TaskRabbit, and Airbnb. Both are meaningful drivers, and the sharing economy is indeed growing rapidly. However, a broader definition, including temporary workers, on-call workers, contract laborers, freelancers, and independent contractors more fully describes a subset of this independent work group. The appeal of traditional nine to five long-term jobs with a single employer has certainly diminished. I would expect this trend to continue and accelerate going forward. Again, based on a study from MasterCard, the amount of global gig workers is expected to grow by over 80% by 2023.
0: That's fascinating. Um, As advances in technology have allowed consumers to collect and better understand more and more data about themselves, How will the individual revolution change how these consumers leverage personal data as opposed to giving it away freely?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is uh, obviously a fascinating thing that's still developing, right? And uh, we, we looked at this extensively for our report. The amount of data that can be collected on consumers has increased dramatically from traditional gender, race, income information to much more personal information such as lifestyle, physical activity, DNA, et cetera. This data is extremely valuable and many consumer companies are willing to pay to have genetic data on their customers. However, consumers are becoming increasingly aware of the value in the privacy regulation changes are impacting the way that data can actually be collected. Consider the fact that Apple updated its privacy policy in April of 2021 with iOS 14, and now requires users to consent to providing data for apps for tracking their data and behaviors from mobile devices. Since the update, many consumers have chosen to opt out of tracking, providing less data for apps like Facebook and Snapchat to use in targeted ads for users. In December, 2021 with iOS 15.2, Apple introduced a series of new features including app privacy reports, which gives the ability to explain what information the apps collect and how it is used. In other words, your iPhone can now tell you exactly what an app is doing with your data. This has led to self monetization with consumers trying to monetize their own brand and their data. Think about the importance of influencers on social media. Celebrities now have a much higher influence in consumer purchasing decisions than five or 10 years ago when they can access consumers in a much more direct way through social media. An example, Kylie Jenner has more followers on Instagram than President Biden and the Pope combined. Kind of crazy to think about. Tutorial videos are becoming increasingly popular across social media platforms such as TikTok and Instagram, allowing individuals to have as much or even more influence as celebrities on consumers' purchasing behaviors. Companies are starting to increasingly partner with social media influencers to promote their products, and we expect the trend will accelerate over the next five to 10 years. And we, as consumers, at some point, will actually be able to sell access to certain data sets. For instance, there was a book written called The Zero Dollar Car, which was basically this concept of giving cars away in exchange for all the data that comes out of the car where you drove, where you stopped, who you called, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just some fascinating dynamics out there as it relates to data and what can happen with that data over time.
0: Well, wow, that's really fascinating. I mean, this really is the individual revolution and I won't hold my breath on that uh, free car offer, but uh, it is really fascinating, the power of uh, data harvesting and what that means for our future. The third section of the report, Nick, focuses on artificial intelligence. And as AI continues to develop, how will it transform the future of the consumer industry? Yeah. So as AI continues to develop,
1: it's going to have a lot of impact. You think about investments in data analytics. You know, with amount all the information that's being collected. You know, being able to run and kind of AI system over that data to help you make connections that might have taken a very long time to make, with just you and me looking at information in a traditional way. I think is going to be very important to help companies make better choices and decisions. And you think about the digitization of the supply chain. You know, Think about across the consumer world. Companies should invest in digitizing their supply chain to reduce bottlenecks and increase flexibility, which I'm sure many companies could really use in this moment as we had all this disruption happen with supply chains during COVID. We see broader application of AI as significantly improving the efficiencies of supply chains from manufacturing, so AI machine learning, 3D printing, robotics to procurement when you think about the application of AI to identify resources needed ahead of time, and even packaging in terms of automation of variety packs. This is all gonna help companies have much more nimble supply chains to deal with more exogenous shocks. But importantly, it's gonna come with the cost, increased capital expenditures and investments. And so that's something that we have to watch out for. Other areas that AI can be used is this shift from mass marketing messaging to one-on-one marketing, right? With all this individual data, it's much easier now to target consumers specifically for what they want for their needs. And then you think about investing in AI-enabled products, right? Companies should really think about specific investments in terms of incorporating AI into their product offerings or leverage AI in third-party devices to help drive sales. One example is Keurig Dr. Pepper's Smart Coffee Brewer, which basically has a data recording of all the types of coffee you use so they can give you automatic replenishment when you run out of your pots and you also think about organizational structure and redesign you know companies generally should redesign their organizational structures to become more nimble and be able to adapt faster to changes in the consumer landscape the increased adoption of ai could really shorten r&d and product innovation cycles which will allow companies to actually produce faster sales perhaps at a better margin because of trade up
0: well thanks nick are there any other challenges or opportunities that you think the uptick in ai will usher in or anything that innovation in AI gets you most excited about in the future?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, one of the big challenges is I think many companies, especially the consumer companies I follow, are behind the curve as it relates to AI. And I think that there needs to be a significant step up investments in that area. So, you know, to, to one degree, from a, from a risk standpoint, I worry that they're too behind because the pace of change is happening so rapidly. It's just going to take a while to catch up or a lot of resources invested to catch up. I think for some of the consumer companies I look at partnerships or acquisitions in this area is probably going to be a better route for them to really leapfrog where they need to be. And in in terms of things where I I feel like there's some exciting, you know, uh, prospects and you think about voice ordering, I think that could change the game. Think about if you're a brand and you're already in someone's basket and someone is used to ordering a Coca-Cola or a tide. Well, think about the brand switching costs. I mean, if you're already ordering something by name, you know, the switching costs is very high for the consumer because they're so used to the convenience of saying that particular product. So if you're a competitor trying to take share away, it's gonna be a lot more difficult. So I think that voice ordering and that becoming more ubiquitous can have some real long lasting changes. Other things that I think are interesting is autonomous driving. You know, Autonomous driving will rely on machine learning algorithms and deep neural networks to take all the sensor inputs, the cameras, the radars, the maps and other sensors to drive, make decisions, and understand local perceptions, the more miles the AI takes in, the more it learns. Thus, miles equals knowledge. And these miles come in the form of two ways, on the road and simulated miles. Other interesting things out there, Amazon has filed a patent for a floating warehouse with drone delivery. This would be used for big rural areas or outdoor events to get products uh, sent to you directly. And then Mobi, which is a test happening right now in Asia, which is a 24-hour mobile convenience store. It's basically an Uber, but it's a convenience store that you can have come right to your location to pick up sundries in a a convenient amount of time. So those are some things that I found very interesting and some things that we uncovered during the
0: report. Wow, that's fascinating, Nick. And the concept of a floating warehouse. I mean, I'm just getting used to drones in my neighborhood. So that's fascinating. (laughs) You know, today we live, work and socialize virtually. We can get healthcare remotely. We can remain active members of society without even leaving our home. certainly leads me into the next future-defining theme of of your report, hybrid living. Uh, We're certainly experiencing hybrid living and working today, and it illustrates how online technologies will become increasingly pronounced in our day-to-day lives. It certainly also underscores a new era of something called mediated reality that will create new opportunities to engage consumers and create new business models and perhaps even brands. What impact will this increasingly virtual and hybrid world have on brands and consumers?
1: yeah, this is uh this is a fascinating one because I think it touches all of us in different ways depending on how old we are, right? The younger consumers, it's almost like they're living this hybrid life already, whereas some of us older consumers, we're still getting used to it. But the personal environments are becoming increasingly integrated as consumers adapt to a new hybrid way of living with less focus on physical spaces and an increased importance on virtual and digital spaces, Consumer-focused companies need to rethink their internal structures to adapt to a new working environment. In fact, all companies need to really rethink their new working environment. And they need to increase their marketing and advertising reach into the virtual world, which is something that I think is a massive opportunity that I do not see enough. Traditional consumer-focused companies have succeeded for centuries in the physical world and have been able to build strong brands with their presence at retail. Large advertising campaigns, sponsorships of mass gathering events, And celebrity endorsements. With the adoption of a more hybrid way of living, consumer-focused companies will face challenges keeping their brands at the top of consumers' minds. And consider the fact that cocooning and the reduction of physical social interactions was all happening before the pandemic and has accelerated since. Brands that have been built around social and physical interactions, such as the beverage alcohol industry, will need to rethink new ways to create drinking occasions and drive consumption. I believe companies should focus on building occasions in the virtual world.
0: Well, thanks, Nick. How do you see the hybrid world impacting things like business travel and social interaction in the coming years?
1: Yeah, well, look, I think one thing for for every industry, you know, and every company in every industry needs to really think about is reimagining corporate culture for hybrid living. As more employees spend time working remotely and or in a hybrid setting, companies are really going to need to rethink ways to develop and retain a strong corporate culture within the organization. You think about gamification of everything. According to a study from HubSpot, 89% of people say that gamification makes them more productive at work, and 71% of employees believe that gamification leads to an increase in energy levels. Gamification of the corporate world is already prevalent and is most commonly seen in sales teams. An example would be Ambition, a gamification sales platform allowing reps to compete against each other on productivity in certain metrics. Consider the fact that we'll have more meetings in the metaverse with mixed reality could drive the next evolution of virtual hybrid meetings and in general have an imprint on the future of hybrid work in the long term. An example is Microsoft Spatial Anchors, an early stage product for multi-user mixed reality experiences. Teams can collaborate in a shared virtual experience leveraging certain technologies, visualizations and logo graphic sharing. So it's really like you're almost in a room together but you're doing it digitally but being able to collaborate on different documents. And then you think about the flexibility of the blue collar worker. I mean, this is really one of the big issues that we've seen since COVID, right? It's the frontline worker and how scarce those workers are right now. The COVID-19 pandemic saw millions of white collar workers move to remote working for an extended period of time, but blue collar workers didn't really have that flexibility, that alternative. Companies should really start to think about how to create flexible working arrangements for blue-collar workers, similar to what you see in the gig economy.
0: So to finish up on this theme, Nick, how does the hybrid world redefine things like brand building, right, in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is an area that I,
1: I feel many companies have been deficient in, and I see a lot of opportunity. So consider this. Fortnite, which is a video game that a lot of young people play, tend to have concerts, digital concerts with avatars of famous people, whether it be Marshmallow, the music producer, or Ariana Grande. In one event, there were over 20 million kids or people that tuned in to this concert for a one-hour time frame, okay? That's over 20 million people, and there was not a single brand represented in that concert. Think about all the major stadiums in the world and how much companies actually pay to sponsor those stadiums to either get the pouring rights or to be able to sell their food or products, and maybe, maybe you'll get 100,000 people in a very large venue in one day. So, you're talking about 20 million Versus 100,000, and there was no one represented, no brand, no service represented in that virtual concert. Massive missed opportunity. I mean, that's probably the best illustration I can give you in terms of how this theme should manifest itself.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And it shows the incredible power of uh, being successful uh, in terms of brand management in a hybrid world and what the opportunity is uh, for consumer branded companies in the future. You know, the final future-defining theme of the RBC report is actually quite serious. Dubbed the Great Balancing Act, this theme interprets how the pace of transformation, climate change, and decreasing trust in traditional institutions has the potential to create global instability and conflict. What impact will the climate crisis have on the financial sector?
1: Yeah, I mean, just consider the fact that this entire report was put out before the Russia-Ukraine uh, situations started to commence. And, and so this is really just an illustration of how fragile our global system is, but let's talk about climate because that's, that's one of the things that, that obviously is, is an integral part of the the great balancing act. The climate crisis will have more impacts than people realize. Consider the following migration as a result of climate change and how other countries are going to have to deal with the immigration, the migration and housing these people. Increasingly political and social tensions, both within countries and between countries. This is already happening, of course, in Europe, as, as as we've discussed, but also in very high kind of unstable markets like the Middle East and Africa. Greater difficulty in setting up and maintaining operations. Consider the fact that Constellation Brands, which is a company I follow that makes Corona and Modelo Especial, invested over a billion dollars in a brewery in Mexicali that they had to actually close before it even started to produce any beer because of local concern over water rights. That's a billion dollars invested that they're probably not gonna get back. And that's really related to a climate situation, right? So it's just amazing to think about the implications that this can have on real business. Climate crisis versus critical infrastructure will also be a continued theme. Extreme events will continue, driving cost volatility, supply chain disruptions, and major costs in cleanup and restoration. And companies may have to undo decades of time and work spent consolidating their supply chains to now diversifying them to be more local in their production, given what's going on around the world.
0: Well, those are some serious topics. But on the bright side, how can emerging technologies create a more equitable and sustainable future? Yeah. Now, we really have to think about this,
1: you know, divided between developing and developed nations. To make a more equitable future, we have to start with sharing more technologies to developing nations. Simple example. The COVID vaccine rollout. Developing nations still need them, while we in the U.S. are on our fourth round of boosters. This is an example of how inequality locally drives problems globally. The same is true for climate technologies. In developing nations, despite conditions being better over the long term measured by most, people are less optimistic and more discontent than ever. We don't need necessarily new technologies to drive more equitable futures, but more utilization of existing technologies in more creative ways to address existing problems, causing the ever-growing rifts that we see across the world. And this is really one of the key drivers of the Great Balancing Act. These rifts challenge every major global institution you can think of, including democracy and capitalism itself. An example, work for home creates more sustainable, equitable futures. We didn't need new technologies to do that. We already had them. We needed to kickstart to push us into adopting it. Unfortunately, that ended up being a global airborne pandemic rather than actual leadership or creativity. Most of our technology and talent is underutilized. And I think that's probably the thing that we should all really think about is how can we leverage existing technologies to create a more equitable future across the globe?
0: Well, I certainly agree, Nick. Um, It is a brave new world, uh, as has been said once before, that we are all embracing. In closing, Nick, Is there a finding or a key theme of the report that surprised you the most? And if so, what is it and why?
1: Yeah, there there are a few that really stuck out. I mean, there's obviously a lot of content in these reports, a lot of conclusions you can draw, but I would point to three, right? One, how intertwined all of these themes are, right? If you think about them, they all kind of overlap with one another to some degree. So you can't really look at this analysis in a vacuum. You have to think about them all together. The second, the urgency of all the themes and how they've been taken for granted the state of global trade is much more fragile than people appreciate, the state of democracy, capitalism, infrastructure, and labor force also. And despite all we've been through over the past few years, the expectation seems to always be that we'll return back to normal, quote unquote, rather than an acceleration of volatility and the unknown. So I would really caution people against this mindset.
0: Well, as, as I've been told before in my own career, expect the unexpected, right? And, and we need to be resilient in that regard in the future. Absolutely. Nick, again, this is really a phenomenal body of work. And I want to thank you so very much and your colleagues for creating this insightful report. And to you, Nick, for joining us on our Conversations podcast. So congratulations to you and the team on publishing it. I'd encourage anyone who wants to learn more about the Imagine Research Report by RBC Capital Markets to check it out. We've put a link to the report in the notes for this episode. And I want to thank each of you for listening. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll subscribe to Conversations so you'll never miss an episode. We have lots of great guests this season who will inform and inspire you. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives. For disclosures, please visit www.rbccm.com disclosure.